Hello, hi, hey, 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 what's happening? Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. I'm um, contemplating a few things right now when it comes to just looking at what's around me because we have a over um, sort of stimulation going on for a lot of us. And um, I'm just trying to remember what things were like when you didn't really have too many options um, because I'm not like going on any of these tech detoxes things. because a lot of people seem to do that, right? I've been avoiding my phone for the past five months. I don't know why it usually happens in an American accent. Usually it's an Indian with an American accent, at least the ones I encounter. But um, everything seems to me needing a detox, a re- revitalization, your body and your mind. And you go from a retreat to a retreat and you do the same thing for your your phone. You abstain from social media and you switch off your devices and you go away to the mountains. And I feel if you can't do that at home, there's no point going anywhere to do it. Just my two cents or two pese or two rupees, whatever currency, man. I'm global. I'm inclusive. But what I feel is remembering some things because with this kind of rapid sort of introduction of so many things, we just bounce from one thing to the next, right? And suddenly we feel like um, Threads is outdated now, which is like one of those fucking crazy things. Like Clubhouse, what the hell is that, man? That's so fucking done with. After Clubhouse, I got like 10 invitations to be on things like Wisdom and Fireside. And I felt really, my God, this is amazing. They invited me to be on their platform. Um, just like recently, I got invited to be a chief guest of one of these things by Teach for India, right? I think they did a musical and they said, would you like to be our chief guest? And I was like, wow. I'm really honored to be invited. And then I realized that it's everyone who's got more than five followers has been asked to be a chief guest. I don't know if it's more than five, but clearly if they've approached me, then their threshold is really low. Um, anyway, I hope it went off well, just to put that out there. I'm not trying to diss them, just that I felt like being included as a chief guest is a, was a special thing. But now it seems like um, the social media footprint um, isn't really that important. But that's an interesting thing now with anything we create, right? We usually are told to be authentic and unique in our ideas and don't try to repeat what someone else has already done and succeeded with because that won't work for you. That formula is done and dusted with. But it's so hard to kind of think and create in isolation because, again, you're told to create and collaborate. Um, because when I do this podcast, you know, it, it what I enjoy is, of course, talking to you guys and getting guests and getting their story and the conversation out to you and also expressing my curiosity and my questions that I might have and try to, you know, kind of let some of that float around, knock around in my head to kind of challenge the ways I view the world or the value system I hold and the way I look at people and the way I share ideas and the way I think hold things important or unimportant. But what the past two years, two and a half years of doing this podcast, you know, maybe even longer, three years or four years, because I started this off as a solo episode, solo podcast called The Baby Bed, which now has moved into this, the Soapy Rao show, which has interviews, um, is with anything, whether it's a workout, whether it's a project like a podcast or whether it's stand-up or anything, this what what I what is important, I feel, to recognize for me is enjoy the process of understanding and learn from that, right? As opposed to, have a projection of, okay, Bill Burr does a podcast or there's the WTF with, um, who's that? Mark, Mark, Mark Marin or whatever these big podcasts, or the Joe Rogan experience of these massive ones or whatever it is. It could be, you know, Tim Ferriss or these big names. And then you subtly try to sort of um, use elements of their podcast, you know, uh, whether it's the way they present the topic or whether they 
the way they have the introduction or the way they kind of um, lead in with the guests. And it's just natural that we do that because we're constantly listening to these big success podcasts of big successful comedians. And this happens in stand up as well. It's, these are the two things I know. So I'm talking about that where you're thinking of a premise or you're thinking of how this would work and then you would do it in someone's voice saying, how would Bill Burr do this? How would Chappelle do this? But I don't know if that's helpful because yeah, you kind of always look at a successful um, artist and you try to not replicate, but try to say, okay, if that person's worked and there's a reason why that's worked. But I feel, and this is not to sound patronizing in any way, but being your own um, teacher and your product being your own coach or teaching you what you must do, I think is the best way because especially in an overflow and an over kind of exposure to information, to ideas, to creations and to creators, I think it's very easy to get carried away with what you must do or mustn't do, what you should do, what you should try to replicate, what you should, uh, what should be your standard operating procedure. But uh, what gives you a sense of understanding, which is um, one is that, you know, nothing's going to happen overnight. It can for a few, very few, but I feel um, seeing what you're doing in itself change just by observing what you're doing for yourself. Like, you know, when I started this out as a solo podcast, I was like, not ready, I feel, to be a host because I was just, I, I mean, when I look back, of course, a lot of this is hindsight is 2020, right? I, I wanted to get comfortable talking to you on the mic and not sound like a total uh, fool. And you can hear that journey. Maybe you still can. But from there to get to doing Life Gone Wrong, uh, which was the Spotify thing, which I did, which was talking to people who have uh, dealt with adversity and those stories and how they can help us uh, to coming to here today uh, made sense when I look back. But at that point, I was like, mm, where's this going? Because I think this all comes down to, you know, whether you believe this or not, or you have belief in this idea of if you put in the work, um, if you enjoy doing it, there's an effort. I feel things work out uh, in ways you don't plan or in ways you don't expect or in projections that you have don't really come through because I never knew I'd be doing this. And of course, you could say, oh, you know, but of course, this this is something which might not work. Who knows, right? But I think understanding that even something like an exercise, there's no point getting results in three days or in three years. Um, because of course it's good to get byproducts, right? And the byproducts can be anything. It could be from revenue to money, to recognition, to better guests, to improving the way you do the podcast or improving the way you ask questions or you interview or in whatever the art form you're doing or the business you're doing. It's good to see results, but those can just be subtle or could be things that you recognize and acknowledge as um, ways in which you've moved ahead with the project. But if that's the only goals you have, then I feel with anything, right? If you're standing on your head and yoga is the only achievement you have, then what is the thing that it's doing for you? Because after five years, you achieve that. Or in six months, you achieve that. Now people are getting yoga training or certification in two weeks. What does that do for you, right? It's just that you can show off to the world and go tell 10 people, I'll teach you yoga because I got certification. Or is it the idea of doing that for a a significant amount of time so it becomes a part of your life and it becomes something that 
you do and that in itself becomes a guide for your life as you get older you can do what you can't do certain things you view certain things differently your minds in a different place as you get even older you have to face other things that are presented to you and whether it's your art form whether it's your exercise whether it's your diet if these can be lifelong companions then i just feel as you face different things these things which you can quote unquote call the constants and the tools for life help you face life in a much more um i don't know if tolerable is the right word or balanced is the right word each person has their own sense of equilibrium or not but it kind of helps the the, the ups and downs feel a little less um disconcerting it doesn't throw you off balance as much it doesn't make you feel the extremes as much and i think that along with acknowledging that every emotion is as, is as important and we shouldn't really hold on to one uh, because everyone seems to say hold on happy happiness is the only thing that you need it's not sustainable right you can't be happy all the time you're fucking nuts then or you're on heroin one of the two uh and and both aren't good i've heard but this is the thing, this is the thing that i'm trying to just kind of understand is you know the podcast started somewhere comedy started somewhere i never knew in 2001 or 2007 when i entered college and graduated and, and left the us that i'd be doing shows on stage visiting california visiting new york or visiting festivals across the fringe in edinburgh or the the the, the, the ones in australia or when i left radio in 2019 i would be doing a podcast four years later talking to people from around the world so it's it's not that i had a five year plan i'm not a guy who plans it's just that i uh, made a conscious effort and sometimes you know you appreciate that effort when you look back but yeah i just wanted to suppose i say i, I want to i suppose i wanted to say um that these are things that have helped me understand about um who i am and what i enjoy doing and if it means that it takes its own time and it shapes into what it needs to be at that point in time i'm willing to give it its time give it its due and i hope that you guys can well someone's really pressing the horn can stay on the journey with me and i even if even if you don't i appreciate it but if you do of course i do appreciate it so before i go on sounding like i'm totally losing the plot which i'm not i hope i want to talk about today's guest he's a comedian again he's a um very established uh performer in the UK comedy scene he's been in it for over 25 years uh, originally from canada glen will uh, joins me today to talk about his comedy career talk about his move from canada to the uk what that shift felt like how those jokes were adapted how he had to adapt as a road comedian road comic as they call it in the industry and how it's been you know how it's been kind of navigating the whole path of what you want out of your art form how do you enjoy being a performer how do you balance the act of the various other things that come along with comedy which is the fame the fortune the success the the thing of seeing other people come after you do better the thing of seeing people who less talented you be more funny the the whole industry and how comedy works and of course the whole narrative of where we are today what is comedy reflect and what is the responsibility of comedy or comedians in a day and age where tolerance intolerance is increasing or thresholds for jokes are reducing and people are getting offended people are getting upset so we talk about all of that and of course about his association with different comedians and how that's helped him and how he's 
decided and chosen what works for him and what he wants to do and what he wants to get out of comedy and what he wants to do with his life. So overall, a really fun conversation. And just a heads up, Glenn Wool is the comedian who's with me today. He's going to be at the Fringe for the next couple of weeks. That's, I think, from the 14th till the end of August. So if you are in Edinburgh at the Fringe to catch Glenn Wool. Glenn, if you're listening, thanks for joining me, my friend. Good luck at the Fringe. And to all of you listening right now, as always, I appreciate it. Thanks. Till next week, goodbye. God bless. Take care of yourselves. Cheers. Thank you so much to start off with. Uh, it's um, You're welcome. I'm really excited to talk to you. And, you know, it turns out I was I was reading, going through your website and it turns out we were at the fringe the same time in 2017. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, uh, Excellent. My first and last fringe, I have to say that. <laughs> I haven't been back <laughs> since. Uh, yeah, a few people. I know a few people who have that story. Yeah, I'm still paying off the credit card bill, so... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Gosh, my wife was like, I'm never going to be uh, flyering shows for you again because the show is called um, Blurred Lines, a blind Indian with a British hangover. And she was blind. And the first day she was like committed to it, right? She's like, Blind Indian with British hangover, a really cool show by a visually impaired comedian from India. The last day she's like, Blind guy, he's all right, he's not that bad. <laughs> you know, she was just so tired. <laughs> <laughs> I will pay you five pounds to take this flyer. Absolutely. Oh, God, that was quite a hustle. And so uh, what made you move from Canada to the UK, or more specifically to England, uh, Glenn? Uh, well, initially, it was when I was a very young man, around uh, 22. Um, it just seemed like uh, there was better opportunities um, stand-up-wise. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of my... Uh, a lot of my countrymen were aiming at America and, and thinking that was the place to go. And uh, I, I always thought Europe just looked a little, a little better. And I was right. And I, I managed to um, beat the rush over here. So yeah, there was, there was a time uh, about 25 years ago where I could get gigs just because they're like, oh, he's Canadian. Well, we haven't mm. one, had one of those. Sure, we'll give him a crack, which is not not the case now. <laughs> so this is pre Russell Peters, is it? Um, what do you mean? No, because um, a lot of Indian Asian comedians kind of uh, kind of nod their heads and thank Russell Peters for opening the market for uh, South Asian sort of comedy. Uh, but did did that ever be a, a benefit for him going so big, like in two thousand four, two thousand five? Did that help other Canadian comedians? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, that would have been, well, Russell would have been coming over at around the same time. I, mm-hmm. I definitely worked with him um, a, lo- a lot. Uh, it was funny. I never worked with him when I lived in Vancouver, but uh, mm-hmm. on, on a, a, several different occasions. Um, uh, yeah, he, I think he sort of noticed the same thing and, and was um, coming over at the same time. Right. So it was not pre, it was not post. It was uh, It was during <laughs> Russell Peters. <laughs> nice. No, no, the reason I mentioned Russell Peters, not, not just because he's uh, an Indian, Asian, sort of Canadian, Indian comedian. It's just that, that you know, Canadian comedians are, you know, I, I worked with a couple. I'm sure you uh, you know them. I'm sure the, uh, Phil Nickel and Paul Meyerhog. I think they've moved. Oh, to the yes. UK. Yeah. Yeah. Very good guys. Yeah, very, very good mates of mine. We've 
we we took a holiday to Amsterdam together once, and um, that's about all I can say about that trip. <laughs> yeah, Phil <laughs> Phil came down to Bangalore for a show at uh, one of the rooms I was I was running back in the day, about maybe seven eight years back, and he does his of course musical set with his guitar, and man, the energy was crazy, and then. In 2017, a friend took me to the Abattoir, which was where the after party was happening. And, you know, they, they, a lot of the comedians like, you know, the, the Colin Mockeries and the, uh, the who's the other guy who was there that night? It was the, uh, why am I forgetting his name? The guy who's the offensive uh, comedian, uh, Jimmy Carr. So he was there and Daniel oh, Schloss yeah. was there. And suddenly I see Phil Nickel. I'm like, holy shit, what are you doing? And it was so nice to just catch up with him. And it was really <laughs> nice that he remembered me, bought me a drink. And I was like, wow, this is really, really nice to be in this environment. But uh, you know, the thing is when, when, when someone like me sitting here in a comedy scene, which is about 11 to maybe 12 years old, and we, we kind of look at American comedians, Canadian comedians, British comedians, and English, uh, the English comedy scene, uh, there's a difference that we notice, right? Like the the Irish, the English comedians are a little bit more storytellers. They're a little bit more free flowing when it comes. But but when it comes to like the American comedians, it's very calculated. Every word is sort of put in there for a purpose. So how did how did you f- navigate that path, or is that even true as an observation from my end? Uh yeah, yeah. I think I think you are right. Um, there's there's longer form and there's shorter form. I think the reason that happens is in America you don't do as long of shows. So um, the 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 European style is sort of write a one hour show, take it to a festival, and uh, then then you get bookings like that. Um, so I was I I always benefited because my my start was in North America where I was able to write really short and concise jokes but i moved i moved over to europe about three years after so um yeah i've got uh, i i can play it both ways if you want (laughs) nice nice so so the thing is uh the transition for you like moving from canada to the uk and then um fitting into that um i wouldn't say the comedy scene but kind of fitting in uh and then making comedic observations or bits so, so how did you play that did you play it as a canadian looking into british society or did you kind of settle in and then tell your story as a person who's moved in and making local observations as a person from outside yeah no you know, I, you always act like you don't it, it's um it, it's always there's there's more benefit in the crowd not knowing how much you actually know about where you are cuz then you can play stupid and then um, you know, and then right at the end, if you if you reveal the cards, you know exactly what you're talking about, and exactly mm. like you're saying, you, you can get two laughs out of it. But um, so yeah, I, unless I absolutely have to, I'll I'll, um, I'll yeah, you know. But then uh, after a while, people are coming specifically to see you, so you can't act like you know. Oh, you know. <laughs> Oh, you guys drive on the left side. Wow, it blew my mind. <laughs> right. Yeah, we would have that in Bangalore uh, about, I don't know how many years back now, maybe 10 plus, maybe 15 years back. We got a new airport and it's pretty far out from the city. So every visiting comedian would be like, oh my God, your Bangalore airport, man, it's closer to another city, like which is Hyderabad, which is 500 kilometers away. I'm like, is it there local? I'm like, oh, come on. After the 15th time, you're like, guys, get over it, right? We live with this and it's pretty <laughs> fine. So yeah, I can I totally feel what you're saying. 
Well, I always like it when the airport's far away from the city. It just seems like a really good idea because, like, you know, like there's there's a, there's only a small percentage it'll crash, but yeah. if it does, you you don't want that to be downtown. Yeah, you want yeah. that to be in a farmer's field or you know. Yeah, it just makes more sense. It's it's a pretty big thing coming into uh, you know you don't want to be as many people concentrated in that area as you possibly can. And you know the bigger thing is that the more number of houses you have like uh, around these airports, you have more people putting out shit like you know putting out food and putting out garbage, and then you have these birds coming in. And the last thing you want is like a state of the art like A three fifty getting pulled down by a crow, right? That just be yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. Exactly the city, yeah. Yeah, cities or cities, you know, Canada suffers from that a lot where um, they didn't have town planners when they were putting the towns up together. Mm. And, you know, some of these some of these places are, in you know, gorgeous settings nestled in the mountain and they got the pulp mill in the middle of town and everything smells like a pulp mill. Yeah. Yeah. So, So you live in London now? Uh, no, I live in uh, Suffolk. Um, the closest city to me is Ipswich, but yeah, I've uh, mm-hmm. I've moved out to the country to raise my little children. And oh. um, so, how is yeah. that? How is that? Uh, work? I mean, were you ever in London when it was like sort of the, the like before family life? Oh yes, yes, I was. Um, yeah, those those were some heady times. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, uh, I don't miss them, but I I, re- I remember them fondly. Um, but yeah, it's it's much better. Uh, it's much better this way for for little ones. That's kind of a busy city for trying to get a kid to cross the road. You know. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, so how how has that been? How has that 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 story changed for you? You know, being um you know someone who's on the road and someone who's kind of totally immersed in comedy and totally um working from that angle and now you kind of have much a much more a slower life living out of the city living out of like the hustle and bustle but then you have to go back yeah. and kind of get that energy back on there so do you find a difference from uh now being a parent to pre uh family life no, no, I, I I enjoy it because uh, I get I get the best of both worlds. I get to be home with my family a lot. I don't I don't do the international stuff much anymore. But uh, there mm-hmm. was a five year period in my life where I got signed to a big agency in America. Um, so I for five years I didn't really have a home. I was just circling the globe. Um, doing gigs, I I had three agents. I had uh, I had European ones, I had American ones, and I had Australian ones, and they'd mm. all fight for my time. So um, it didn't make sense to have an apartment, um, right? So I just I just lived, gone from hotel to hotel, um, and uh, yeah, it, it was uh, it was fun at the start, but it wasn't much fun at the end, uh, and. Uh, yeah, so I guess what I'm saying is I, I sort of got all the wanderlust out there. And I ended up, I, I didn't move back to the UK. I moved back to Canada and bought a condominium in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought that I was just going to live in Canada the rest of my life. And then, uh, <laughs> it's actually kind of a weird story. Um, my wife's best friend tweeted to me, on my wife's birthday and said, um, 
you know, uh, this is my best friend. She's your biggest fan. Could you say happy birthday to her? And uh, I sort of tweeted back and I was like, look, I don't really, I, I don't really do stuff like that. And then, and then of course I looked at her picture and I was like, okay, but this, in, in this case I can say happy <laughs> birthday because I, I want, <laughs> and, um, so, you know, I said happy birthday and then her friend was like, you know, she's single and you should marry her. And I was like, uh, you know, I still didn't want to be creepy. Like it was people that had gotten gotten a hold of me like as fans. So uh, I was like, well, I wouldn't want to put anybody through that sort of punishment. <laughs> you know, like, still just uh, keeping it um keeping it on uh, on just a, a jovial level. And then um, I was back. This is a, you know, and every once in a while, uh, her or her friend uh, would tweet to me. We'd, we'd, we'd have little back and forths about something we'd seen that was funny, but it was all just um, very, um, you know, because you don't want to be a creeper online. Like, yeah. Hey. yeah. Clearly those things um, are coming back to bite us, right? If, if, if we have put them out there in the past. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, I, I mean, uh, that just goes to show you that uh, like, uh, I, I wasn't even thinking about like, I don't want a r- recording of this, but it, that definitely is what, you know, it's, it's what the kids call receipts now. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh yeah, I wasn't even thinking about that. I was just like, you know, you don't want to, you know, yeah, you, you don't want to extend yourself in that way and have somebody go like, look, I just, I was just, I just liked your comedy. I don't, yeah. you know, can you, can you get off my lawn, please? Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, but, yeah. yeah, I ended up, um, uh, the reason she knew who I was, I did a podcast with Frankie Boyle. And that's mm. her actual favorite comedian. It's not mm. me. It's just uh, I was the one that responded to. Apparently, there was uh, her friend did like send out four messages that day to different people that she enjoyed the work of. And said, "Could you say happy birthday?" And I was the only one that was available. Uh, <laughs> that's but, brilliant. Um, <laughs> yeah. Nice. Uh... Um, so anyway, I, I, was, I was back in uh, London opening up for Frankie at a Soho theater gig. And uh, she tweeted the next day, like, oh, I can't believe it. My favorite uh, comedian. I, I got tickets to my favorite comedian. And my second favorite comedian was opening for him. And she tagged me. And I was like, oh, I didn't, like, I just, I, I just left it. It hadn't turned my phone on. So I only got that tweet the next day and i was like well maybe we should meet up for a drink just mm-hmm. as friends you know like friends would do if you're not busy and yeah the, and the rest is history <laughs> i couldn't like we couldn't help it we, we we liked each other and i don't i don't feel creepy because i married her and had two children with her so if it's you know i'm not i'm not a player at that point <laughs> Well, that worked out, right? I, I, yeah, she's not going to go back to those tweets and say, see what you did? <laughs> you know, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> I had to take her Twitter account away. You know, <laughs> I know what you do. <laughs> that's a great story because it's, uh, as you mentioned, you get these messages from people who like your work and um, in your head, or at least in my head, it's like, wow, like the whole world's attention is on me right now, even though it's just one person and it's just lying saying, loved your show last night. 
but it's how we perceive it, right? Like our ego just gets such a boost. And then, as you said, it's so easy to get carried away going, yeah, you know what? They really like my joke from last time. Maybe I'm going to move next door to them. And, and you know, yeah. <laughs> and, and that it, it's, yeah, it's the reality isn't that. But no, it's, it's um, yeah. It, yeah. So, you know, I'm quite fascinated by the, the whole um, kind of, I wouldn't say journey, but the way your comedy career has uh, kind of w- not just where it's taken you, but how it's taken you, because it's a different time from when I started. I started back in 2010 and I stopped for a while now since the pandemic. But how, how, how uh, more than like the gigs you did or the open mics or how you got into comedy, I'm just interested to know how it kind of took you and what journey, because you said you had that big, that five-year thing of just going around the world and being managed by different people. So how did you... Um, kind of play out your comedy cards if if uh, if, if that's something that uh, you you focused on did you plan it out saying okay the first five years I'll do these festivals and I'll get on Letterman or the equivalent of that and then I'll do the c- clubs then I'll become a road comic so so how did that pan out for you um, did you have a plan or did you have a 20 year I'm going to sustain being a comedian how did that um, how, how did you approach that uh, no, I didn't. I didn't really have a plan, um, but I do. Um, you know, I do. I, I would say I try to keep true to myself. Um, try to keep writing as much as I can, and, um, and and honing it. And that's that's what Edinburgh is good for because every time you do it, you need a new hour. So you're constantly. Um, working on new jokes, but it's it's funny um, now that I've. Now that I've become a dad and I've got two young kids, I don't I don't want to be on the road very much anymore. I, um, I don't mind going on the weekends, but uh, you know, the the more I'm out, the more I miss here. So uh, to get um, to get proficient at podcasts and podcasting, I think that's the um, that's the future for me because I'm just I'm in my bedroom right now. My my kids are at school. My wife's gone and had a cup of coffee and. Uh, there you go, you know, the, and and I'll be here when they come back. Right. It's much, um, yeah, and and that was never a plan, but uh, it seems to be working out. My new, um, I've got a podcast with a guy named Andrew Maxwell, and it's mm-hmm. uh, we we started it. Like I and this, you know, you talk about um, planning ahead. This is the big the the one time I've had a plan that lasted longer then six months and it it all worked out because uh, we me and maxwell we were practicing podcasting for a good a good four or five months uh with the idea that we'll really we'll start releasing stuff uh, a year after we've you know been practicing just right. to make sure we hit the ground running and um jim jeffries who's an old mate of mine got a hold of me and said, look, I'm coming back to England. Uh, do you want to open up for me on the tour? And I said, uh, yes, yes, I do. Yeah. <laughs> Arenas for a month. And he was like, well, who should we get as the other opener? And I said, well, why don't we do this? We'll get Andrew Maxwell also on the bill. And uh, then because we're working on a podcast. So every night we'll we'll start releasing the podcast a week before the tour starts. And then every night we'll be performing in front of 3000 people 
and we can put a barcode up and uh, they can scan it and we can get a nice base for our um, our new endeavor and everything worked. It all worked Ooh. out. <laughs> so you got the, the people who came with Jim, yeah. Jim Jeffries to, to kind of subscribe to your podcast. Yeah. That's brilliant. Yeah. And now, and that, and that, well, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's even more brilliant because it came out of my head and that's not the way I usually do things. <laughs> I usually wait till the day before and I'm like, okay, well, always. Oh, yeah, I wish I'd had this idea six months ago. We could have done something about it. But yeah, no, that's, every little that's, piece worked. That's brilliant because that's automatically whatever one month times two, three thousand people. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not everybody subscribed, but it right. was a nice. It's a nice base, and the podcast is now going very well, and it's starting to grow even more. But just that 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 little push, that little nudge. But mm -hmm. all it took was somebody to see it from six months away and I, I i truly believe that um having kids made made that possible because i think if i was still um as disorganized as you you know you're you're always as disorganized as your life will allow you to be yeah you know I totally get that yeah so now i want to understand yeah. you know because it's so uh it really strikes a chord with me because uh you know I, i've been doing it for m many um, you know, many, many years less than you've been doing it for. Um, but, you know, just, just around 2020, um, you know, when shows stopped and you had to do these online shows on Zoom uh, with 500 people out of which two people have their videos and mics on, the rest are just on mute, which is ridiculous. <laughs> I have to tell you this, though. You know, I was doing a... Um, uh, it was for diversity and inclusion. They're like, as a person uh, with visual impairment, could you talk about this on World Disability Day or something? And it was about 500 people for this corporate. And uh, after I spoke, one, a guy who was hearing impaired wanted to ask me a question. And the moderator's like, hey, Deepak, you're on mute. I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake, can you make the words a little bit more sensitive, dude? Like, can, can you not? <laughs> Oh my god! And, uh, yeah, it's it's just ridiculous how we get get you just use these words without realizing. Um, yeah, yeah. No, well, I, I always thought it was very unfair to people who can't speak that that's still called dumb. Like, yeah. come on, we can, surely, you know, yeah. like, you, you got to change one of those words. We either can't say dumb anymore, or just you know, orally yeah. impaired. I don't know. I mean, I mean you've gone from going fat to horizontally challenged and you don't you don't want to hurt the feeling of those people but a person who can't speak is written off because <laughs> <laughs> yeah it seems like uh, like especially there's another one too you know like in football when they're like oh they've got a very anemic offense you know as mm. to say that it's not and i'm just like that's a real condition what how does how did that slip through and you're still allowed to call things anemic? You know, that's crazy, all the anemic yeah. people are out there are like, you know, could you not just say they don't have a very good striker? Do you have to bring my condition into this? <laughs> yes. <seriously. laughs> uh, or they should positive, uh, put a positive spin around dumb. Like, uh, you know, if someone's really quiet and someone's really observant and listens all the time, man, that guy is such a dumb bastard. You know, <laughs> just maybe. <laughs> I would like that. <laughs> Maybe that would be more effective. Yeah, man. Yeah. 
You know, so, oh, yeah, was, uh, let me let me tell you a quick story about yeah, please do. Uh, uh, Zoom Zoom gigs. You reminded me when you were saying, I did I did one during the pandemic, just one, and it was um, it was for a Dutch company. Uh, uh, yeah, Uber Eats, just randomly. It doesn't matter, but um, and of course this came through kind of at the end of the second lockdown. So I hadn't done a gig in a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, uh, you know, you could see all the people up in their little squares and stuff. And uh, the the promoters talking to him all going, this, he's a very good comedian. He's from Canada. I think you're really going to enjoy him. Um, so, you know, ladies and gentlemen, Glenn Wool. And I start doing my act. And I'm just like, like this, just sitting there, just trying to remember my jokes. And uh, I can see all these squares of people just sort of looking and... Um, uh, about about five minutes in, the promoter gets on the mic and he goes, uh, "Excuse me, can everybody please turn your turn your mics on? Uh, you, you, tur- you know, turn the mute off because it's really eerie." And Glenn's getting no reaction, and just out of the, the silence, all of them went, "They're on." <laughs> No problem there, sir. (laughs) This isn't a technical glitch. (laughs) No, no. (laughs) And you know the worst? I think more than them not laughing, what would get me, at least if they listen, okay, I'm like, you know what? It's just a bit awkward, right? But what would get me is suddenly you'd hear someone, you know, taking their plate to the kitchen to wash it and you hear the sink go on. I'm like, dude, that's just (laughs) a bit much. (laughs) Or someone, the sound of something flushing. I'm like, oh, that's just even more insulting than not laughing. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, there was a weird thing sitting down. So the, the, the thing is, when everything closed, you know, there's this early onset of panic. You're like, oh, my God, I'm forget, I'm, I'm going to forget this art form. I'm, I'm My last bit, the last show which I killed, I'm never going to recreate that feeling. A lot of that I could hear from people. That like, oh, we need to do anything to start these Zoom online uh, open mics. And I'll be honest, I tried an open mic online. There were three people and it was awful. But... Then I early, I really quickly, um, I mean, relatively speaking, realized, you know what, man, this is this, this is ridiculous. Okay, unless it's a well-paid corporate gig and I'm just going to get the money, I'm not going to do this because it really didn't feel good for me. But then, uh, as you were saying, you know, this idea of sitting down and talking to uh, into a microphone, uh, not in a structured stand-up delivery way, but just putting out ideas, but you're not hearing, anyway, you're not hearing laughter, just like as you said, people, even if people are there, they're not laughing. So it gave me this idea of doing this because that's that's around when i started uh, focusing a lot more on the solo version of this podcast which two years back became an, a talk format um so how, how do you um look at it because for me like last year my, my wife and I, I had a baby girl and she's one now and for me this this is another that's why re- thank you so much it resonates with what you're saying because i get to be at home i haven't got back on stage after things have opened up yet but I really enjoy this, right? Because I get to talk to people like you who've been in the industry. I talk to people from all sorts of different lines of work and areas of interest. But uh, what what was your draw to podcasts and podcasting? And as a, and as a as a performance artist, how do you find the medium and how do you adapt and um, how does it compare to comedy or compare to stand up if that's even comparable? Uh, 
Well, yeah, it does compare. Um, but I was lucky enough, me and Andrew Maxwell have been very good friends for a long time. So um, what we do, it, the, the podcast is called Egypts of the World. And Egypts is an Irish term. It, it basically means idiot in, in Irish. Um, oh, okay, okay. So, yeah, we so we sort of scroll the news in our personal lives uh and every week we bring um, who we've found in the news to be who's who's been being an idiot that week, and we just sort of riff on it. But right. really, it's um, you know, it's not it's not a million miles away from what our phone calls used to be like. You know, like sometimes mm. we'd just call each other up and go, hey, "Have you seen this guy?" And so. Um, what it is, it's basically us making each other laugh for an hour. Nice. Um, so, and that's not that's not generally stand up, but you know, like in those phone calls, I definitely there's there's been times where I said something, and then I'm like, I'm gonna try that on stage. That'll work. I know yeah, that'll work. Yeah. Um, so it's 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 it, it was a form stand up. Where you know, and sometimes we would have an idea. We'd call the other guy up. So it's it's like seeing a different uh, a different side of it, you know. But it's still, I think, uh, it's 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 interesting and and it's still funny uh, just to see two just to hear two buddies um, joking around like that. So it's not exactly stand up, but then it doesn't have to be. And and, and I have got bits from doing the podcast that you know people don't seem to mind if they've heard him on the podcast and they're like oh i see what he's done there i see how he's crowbarred that into the conversation <laughs> nice um so yeah that's yeah yeah i i think it's it's finding the joy in it because i resisted uh a lot on the internet for a long time it um yeah i, I think i was a late adapter um, but I, I, I like the way that it's gone now. And, and he, like, it's, it's like you say, um, I, I think I had to see the reward of, of the, you know, the, the reward is I'm around my family much more than I, I would have been. Um, and you know, the, there's a lot going on on the road that there's just not me anymore. I just don't, you know. I don't want to drink all night and party all day and then roll onto stage like some, you know, rock star. Those, those days are done and I don't need to. You know, yeah. I, I've got the memories. Oh, I've got half the memories, but, you know, that's all you need. <laughs> yeah, no, because, you know, when we uh, sit on the outside or someone entering the world of being a stand-up comedian, there seems to be a lot of attractions when you look at the, uh, like when I remember going in, for my auditions at the comedy store when they were when they had their uh, club in Bombay, but, uh, this is like 2010. You know, so that that's I when remember of, that. I love that. Yeah. The, so, you, have you been to the the Bombay comedy store when it was there? Oh yeah. Uh, okay. About, lovely. Okay. I think I did it four times. Yeah. So you Sorry, remember how it was, right? It was like quite upscale. It was in this really posh mall, and for me, I was blown away. I said, "Wow, this is." And then I remember meeting uh, the people who were headlining that time. It was Mandy Knight and Dave Fulton and Curtis Walker, oh, Sean yeah. Mio, and and um, uh, Paul Williams. I forget these people. I forget who else was there, but uh, Ian Coppinger. And, and, you know, there's this idea that you think it's like all everyone's like Dave Chappelle or everyone's like Robin Williams, where it's, 
you know, private jets. And so you have this notion in your head and you, and, and you only hear about Madison Square Garden, or these big rooms. And then you meet the, these comedians who are so funny. Um, but then they give you the, re- the real story. You've been doing it for 25 years and you think, oh, you know, is it all about partying and drugs? They're like, yeah, it was for a few years, but the reality is that you can't sustain that, right? So, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's really amazing how between the open micer and the Dave Chappelle, there's so many different opportunities for comedians. There's so many different paths for a comedian to take. And um, yeah, how, you know, what, what, I wouldn't say advice, but how do you navigate that? How do you manage your expectations? How do you manage the, 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 the opportunistic thinking? Like, because, you know, in the Indian comedy scene being much younger, there's some people who just catapulted to success without as much work. I'm not taking away from the work they've done, but just without as much time. But there's some people who are slogging away who still are at a 40, 50 seater room. And we don't have too many established comedy clubs in the country. But yeah, so how does one, is it a personal kind of what suits you or is there a trajectory? or? Well, I mean, I give you, and this is advice I give to any uh, young comic, or and it sort of transfers. Um, it transfers over to anybody, and I'm glad I realized it very early in my career um, because it certainly has helped the thought of it. And, and that is just, it's a simple uh, one sentence piece of advice, and that is other people's successes are not your failures. That's brilliant. You know, that's, you know why it's brilliant for me is because I was living absolutely that towards the beginning of the lockdown, like the last few years before the lockdown, 2018, 19, uh, it was basically if someone did well, it reflected that I'm not funny enough. I'm not good enough. If someone sold a thousand seater, I'm like, you're a loser, like to me. And, and, you know, that's why I can't live like that. Yeah, and I took a yeah, break because yeah. the non-essential aspects of comedy, which was the fame, the fortune, how many tickets, Netflix specials, and that was occupying my mind more than enjoying the jokes. And, you know, th- what you just said. Yeah. Is, yeah. Well, here's the heart of it. And uh, it's, it's, it's one thing I try and keep uh, keep close to my consciousness is that what I love about this business, what I absolutely love is making people laugh. Mm-hmm. And um, if I'm on a bill and I don't have the best set that somebody else does, I'm glad because, you know, for whatever reason, like, like I want that whole room to laugh. And if I don't have the goods or if they just for some reason don't like people like me and, and that happens, it's the reason there is a mixed bill. I just want everybody to laugh. And that extends to, you know. If somebody, if somebody I think is not very funny sells out 10,000 seats in an arena and everybody has a great night, well, it doesn't matter what I think. It matters that 10,000 people have uh, had, had a little respite from their lives and they've had a laugh. And, 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 and you know, you can go, well, why don't, why don't they, you know, I, I wanted to be the one to make them laugh. Just be happy that they're laughing and, you know, you'll, you'll get your chance. And, and there's, there's people that you can make laugh that those 10,000 seat arena comics can't make laugh. So focus on them, focus on them. And then, and then maybe one day they'll know 10,000 people and they'll all come see an arena. But, you know, you don't, you don't worry about the gigs you're not doing. You put all your heart into the ones you are doing you know it's not if if somebody doesn't want to book you well just don't don't play their club go go play somewhere else it's not 
There's not, and there's not one path either. Like there's so many people who've gotten famous in so many different ways that yeah. to sort of focus on one thing, it's it's um, it's uh, it's it's a negative emotion. And I I actually um, it's funny uh, we're talking about India. I just read a, a long book um, called The Anarchy. I don't know if you've ever read that. It's about uh, the British um, East India Con- Company. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, and uh, you know, and and just just the horrors that they uh, that they inflicted on India. But there was one point, um, one of the one of the one of the guys that was the head of the company, who actually uh, came to India, and he was he was um, he actually he he really liked India, and he liked. Uh, he liked the people and, and, and it was opening his mind to a lot of things. And the one thing he brought back to England and he was trying and people just couldn't get their head around this as a philosophy, but it was, it, it is Indian of origin. He said, uh, if, um, if the application is perfect, the outcome is irrelevant. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, and that, and there, there you go. And that, that just sticks totally to comedy. Where if you just, if you just worry about telling the joke perfectly, well, if nobody laughed, it didn't matter. You told it, you, you told it perfectly. So focus, focus on the, um, focus on yeah. the action, not the outcome. Which is so essential, and that's why someone like you has been in the business and does it for years, and you're able to make peace with why you're doing it right because i unfortunately you know i feel you know very selfishly the lockdown happened at such a right time because i was spiraling and um fortunately i've had time to withdraw from that way of thinking and sort of just take a step back and take uh take stock of what i'm doing and like you know after a point you're doing three gigs 10 gigs a month and you just sort of lose appreciation for those shows you're like oh god for 10 people shorter but as you just said, it's 10 more than you had last week or it's whatever. They've come to see you and they need to laugh and you want to make them laugh. But yeah, it's it's so important to hear it for someone like you who's been, hear it from someone like you who's been in the business for 25 plus years because that's what is sustainable, right? Thinking from this point of view as opposed to looking at what you don't have, looking at other people and comparing yourself going, you know, I'll never be that because that just damages you and damages your material. <coughs> yeah. Yeah, and and if you're in that mindset uh, for even half of a day, well, you know the, that you could be writing, you could be writing wonderful jokes, uh, other than looking at somebody telling jokes you don't like and going, why are they getting that? You know, this, you know, you, you, the jokes have to come from you, and if you're if you're in that negative space, uh, and 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 don't get me wrong, uh, you know, being in a bit of a foul mood can help you write a really good joke. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I re- but if you're you too happy, I don't think it's helpful. <laughs> no, no, that's that. That's the other side. <laughs> it's, it's all a balance. But I mean, like you said about the the lockdown coming at the right time. I, I mean, I was really resentful of the lockdown, and then um, you know, about a month into it, I just looked at it. My my kid was uh, two years old at the time, and uh-huh. we only had one at the time. And I just went, you know what? Uh, my dad never had this with me. 
you know, I, I, he didn't get to stay home every day. And me and my wife and kid just we we just went for long walks every day. We were having picnics. It was springtime in England, and it was a really um, it was a we were out in the countryside, and we just had a blast. And I don't I was worried that my kid was going to think that like life is always like this because I could even see the end of the lockdown coming. I go, he's he's not he's going to be very spoiled for time with, mm. with me, <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, I just I just took it for what it was, and I I, I really enjoyed um, uh, the the time I spent with my kid, you know. And then that's, that's all pretty. you can do. You go, yeah. You look at you know you look at what's front what's in front of you, and uh, you can complain about it. And I I mean, I got friends uh, online that are still complaining about the lockdown and vaccines and stuff, and I'm just like, you know regardless of what you feel about it or what you, you know, if, if you feel mistakes were made, guess what? It's over. We're out of the house. You know, <laughs> like you, yeah. can, you can keep going back and point and go, see, I said they should have done this when they did this and then they didn't do it right. And I was like, well, mm. okay. You know, you let it eat, you let it eat you up for how many more years. And then you realize that, you know, <laughs> you've yeah. you've missed out on all this other time and all these other great things just accept yeah. it I think that's the notion right in anything whether it's people being bitter people being anti-vaccine people being anti-mask or people being from the the, 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 the lab leak theory whatever the, the, the thing they're so hell-bent on proving that it's right or wrong you and even as a comedian if you're so angry and you're so bitter with other comedians or the business or the industry you forget to live and 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 then after that you 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 get stuck in that cycle of that way of thinking and it's so hard to come out of it yeah i don't think the internet helps either you know uh, yeah they get uh, it, uh, i i'm uh, I, <laughs> my problem with the internet is i click on all these crazy theories so my <laughs> algorithm thinks that i've think that so i get yeah. pushed a lot of these things and i'm just i just wanted to read what they were thinking could i i i, I feel like i should you know i wish there was a button that said i don't believe this i'm just interested to see what they think but yeah um but you yeah know, another you can, thing you in the comedy really... sense i want to ask you sorry for interrupting i just wanted your thoughts while no we're problem. on the topic of the internet is you know when you're in a room uh like say we transport ourselves to the comedy store or some of these clubs which have such beautifully designed rooms for laughter and yeah you know if there are 300 people you you'll probably get 300 people laughing at you i might get 150 it, i'm saying it's not so much the numbers but it's the energy of laughter but if you take that to the internet it doesn't translate to just the laughs but it's the views how many people where was that shot is it on youtube is it on amazon prime is it on netflix so it becomes more about those things and or it becomes about the instagram reels how many views it got how many followers you have so it's not that laughter and what that energy the laughter is doing but it's more the numbers and that's no good for anyone sitting at home uploading videos every day or trying to perform on stage right yeah, yeah, they focus on what the number in the corner is and not what the what the feeling of what you just said was, you know. And then um it also starts to um it starts to affect what they say because they're not they're not looking at the feeling of what they've done. They're looking at the numbers. So what they you know, they'll say something very similar to the last thing that made that number jump 
jump up, you know, mm. and then at that point, are, are you are are you the artist or is the number the artist? You know what I mean? That's crazy, yeah. Because they try to replicate that. And, and do you feel, uh, as a collective, um, the, the 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 sort of comedy uh, space uh, of what people find sort of acceptable as comedy has does that get affected or does that change with uh, a, a few elements right one is the internet things going viral obviously the the machine uh, thing kind of predicts okay this is what people are consuming the people also who are consuming that have this benchmark it's either completely you know if you look at political comedy it's completely pro something or anti something it's pro vaccine anti so it's extremes so as a result that is what gets driven to one group and then secondly then you have the the, the the what is acceptable when it comes to language offensive sensitivity so then as a result over time the whole uh, landscape of what is considered funny and what is considered uh, acceptable in the space of funny doesn't that change it does it does and that and then like i say uh, the internet is is not helping with that because it's it's divided us you'd think this it's it's actually funny what happened with the internet because it started out as the greatest invention that we'd ever made and and we were all alive to be at the at the start of it it was so it was so amazing you know and and it took a few years to catch on but it was like wow we've really we've really created something and this could really help humanity and then we just used it to divide ourselves and argue yeah it could have been so much more but you know and you see i think young people are are pretty uh ensconced in it but uh, i mean i'm 48 and i've mm-hmm. got a fair few mates that you know like guys i went to high school with they're just not on it anymore they're just like oh yeah no <laughs> i got you know they're they're fishing they're hunting they're they're spending time with their kids and you know maybe they'll look at facebook once a month but even that's going less and less like if you leave a message for them there they're like oh don't not, not here i you know you know whatsapp maybe mm. um so yeah yeah and i think uh, i think a lot of people uh, would would do well with um less less internet more more quality but i mean that's the problem uh too is once you once you go you tip you go over a certain tipping point you don't see the people that aren't on the internet anymore you're not you're not around them and and it just pulls you in deeper and you and you lose out on um, a, lo- a lot of the good things that are not internet based at all so do you think that because it's almost like you know earlier i mean i'm saying maybe in 2000 it would say you have to go, you know, like in New York, they have this thing called the the Laughing Buddha, right? Which is the, uh, they organize these open mics, they organize these rooms where these um, scouts would come and check you out and then maybe put you in touch with another thing. So there would, there would be a more physical trial uh, tryout. So you would go say, you know, apply to the, the Edinburgh Fringe or do the best in the Fringe or the, 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 the Just for Laughs. What are these festival approaches? Um, yeah. But now it seems like everyone has to get you know, these videos up, these clips, these reels up. Do you think uh, a person who's starting out maybe five, ten years back uh, or maybe someone starting out now, can they even survive or can they even get better without being on the Internet? Do you think that's a possibility? Uh, yeah, I don't I don't know. I, cause I don't know if those rooms are still there. Um, yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's funny, though, like even... 
uh, even though the idea of those rooms, um, you can they, they can be quite sobering when you find out what the general public thinks. Because I remember I was in New York, and uh, this was uh, maybe this would have been ten or fifteen years ago. But I, one of the uh, one of the lineups I was on, and this was just in a basement uh, of a bar in New York, and. Um, uh, it was me, Eddie Pepitone, Bill Burr, uh, Questlove was playing the drums, and Hannibal Barres was not on the bill. He was the DJ. He was <laughs> DJing people. And, like, it was just such, such an amazing show to be on. And I remember um, I did my set, and then... Um, the room was quite packed and small, so you had to actually go out, uh, go out a back way, and then come. so I I joined the back of the room, um, but I hadn't gone through the crowd, so I was just standing there, and nobody nobody knew I was there, you know. And I, I just remember, uh, and yeah, a burr was uh, was closing, and. Uh, I stood. I stood behind a guy, just like a sort of New York hipster, with his wool hat sort of pulled down and constantly sucked in cheeks. And he just, he just turned to his buddy at the end of the night after seeing that power pack show. He goes, "What was that? Some sort of amateur night?" <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's just seen. He's seen a million dollar show. Like if you try to put that together now, it'd be, be fucking three grand a ticket now, what the hell was that yeah. jesus what's wrong with these people <laughs> not yeah. not one of them not one of them made me laugh <laughs> wow no and that's sh- that just goes to show right like you know and that's 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 i, I didn't i want to hint at that everything uh about putting your videos online is bad it's just that it's a sense of privilege that the, get, the person gets because they're getting this video on their device right they have the luxury of sitting at home going ah but at the same time, you know, you'd have people come for a live show expecting you to think. But so I don't know if there's right or wrong, but, um, you know, I, but even these physical rooms is really hard because when I went to visit my girlfriend in New York in 2014, I, I, I went, uh, we walked past the comic strip and I met someone and they ran a comedy workshop. I said, I don't have time to do the workshop, but can I get, they said, yeah, you can get on stage if you do a bringer show we get five people long and fortunately all my friends at that point were working in new york so they could afford those 15 dollar tickets and then um after like the fourth show i called them for they're like dude we spent a like hundred dollars on the same fucking five minutes you've been doing at least write new stuff or don't call me back for this so i get it it's hard <laughs> like that joke after i had that joke going what's the deal with new york streets after one two three four what what's the deal with lex is lex a replacement for five they're like yeah it was funny the first time but not anyway it was a stupid bit trying to be one of those local <laughs> observational uh bits but anyway yeah but i remember on that trip i went to the comedy cellar obviously the show was sold out so i asked the guy at the ticket counter i said do you guys do open mics and he just looked at me he goes hey buddy do people practice pitching at the yankee stadium i'm like i don't know what is it supposed to mean <laughs> What's that supposed to mean? I don't follow baseball. <laughs> well, I, I was like, do, do they practice pitching? <laughs> yes. Well, they do. There's, there's, there's the bullpen where they warm up. So yeah, it's, uh, that guy doesn't have very good similes. Yeah, um, he can, I know what he means. Though. Yeah, I think he basically meant yeah. saying, "Don't waste my time," which I got pretty quickly. But um, yeah, no, it's amazing. You know, that, that with podcasting now, you hear these stories from. 
you know, guys, like as you just said, in the green room, they were, they were sitting, ha- having a beer, and suddenly, like, this big comedian walks in or that. And, th- you know, I'll be honest with you, it's not, it's not at all a debate whether the internet is good for comedians or bad. Clearly, there are, you know, positive cases from everything. But I really, you know, miss the days where, you know, when we would sit and get whether positive criticism for your bit or a, a suggestion for another bit or this thing. And and it just brings this idea together that, you know what, your, your goal is not to outdo the other or to get more successful than the other. Of course, that might or might not happen. That's not in our control. But it's to kind of enjoy the process of making those people who've come there laugh or the next group of people laugh. And that... I. And I stopped feeling that for some time over the past few years. I, I don't know what the, why that's happened. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, correct. It's got, that's got to be the goal. And and when that when that goes, um, yeah, it's be, it's best to identify it and make sure you try and find the the joy because um, uh, over the long term, that's the only reason to 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 do it. Because it's like you say, it's about control and that's the only thing you can control you know it's, it's just um a lot of time fame uh fame or the next level it's definitely has to do with talent but it's also it's luck a lot of the time you know mm-hmm. too like i've I've got friends who've um like like jim jeffries who we mentioned yeah. he he got um he was blessed enough to have been punched in the head on stage and yeah. they put the <laughs> I, see, I think we've all yeah. seen that video right yeah i know it got he was world famous now he he had the talent to back it up but he was you know he he was doing club gigs and then uh, some guy didn't like his joke and thump and, and there you go there's actually a poster a in one of the rooms bastard. Yeah, we used to run a room. I mean, uh, there was a bar in Bangalore called Take Five. And it was just like this small uh, bar which ran these live gigs. And we used to run open mics every Monday, uh, I think back 2016, 17, 18. And there's a poster of Jim Jeffries actually doing a gig there in 2004. No one knew he'd even come to Bangalore. It was like a 25, 30 seater. And, you know, it's just these crazy things. As you just said, what a, what a lucky break, right? Getting a bottle thrown at you or getting punched by someone's <laughs> brother. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Well, I talked to Jim. Like I said, we just opened for him on his English tour. And he told me something about that night I didn't know. But um, the, uh, one of the other acts on the bill was Michael McIntyre. It was back oh, really? before McIntyre was famous. Yeah, mm. yeah. McIntyre was on. It uh, was was the act on before Jim, and uh, he said, uh, "Yeah." So he got punched, um, and uh, they, they. Oh, it was right before the break, so they, so it stopped. But there was a big hubbub, and uh, Jim had to be helped down to the dressing room because he was a bit. You know, there's a staircase down the backstage, so he had to be helped and. He was sat down, and everybody's uh, everybody's coming in and uh, and asking Jim if he's okay. And McIntyre is just standing in the corner, and he's like, "What? What happened?" And uh, and uh, Jim's like, "I got I got punched in the head, man." And McIntyre goes, hm, "See, no one can follow me." <laughs> <laughs> was he prancing up and down? <laughs> like how he yeah, does? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 
I know nobody can hit him. He was skipping. <laughs> Couldn't get a gauge on what height his head was going to be. That's why he skips, so you can't punch <laughs> Wow, that's. I mean, that's one of those bits. Uh, those the bits of information you you'd never hear. You know. Wow. No, no. Yeah. I, so, I, as, as I was telling her, I was like, I wonder if I'm allowed to tell this. But I don't give a fuck anymore. <laughs> well, yeah, you know what? I, I, I just call Mike, Michael McIntyre prancing, so I think he might get more upset. <laughs> so it's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and to be fair, that that sounds like I'm riding Michael down. Uh, he, uh, McIntyre, he he was actually I I liked him when he was on the circuit because um, he was he was very much like that, and that's very much a comment he would make, but. I was always quite charmed by that, uh, that self-belief. And, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I like Michael and he's, he's sometimes can rub, he, he definitely rubbed people the wrong way when he was on the circuit, but, um, right. it was funny. Yeah. They, they certainly changed their tune. Uh, I, I, once, once he had his road show and everybody was getting rich and famous off of it. Oh, the, the, the perceptions of Michael on the circuit changed very quickly. We're like, oh, I never had a problem with him. Oh, yeah. oh I always like, yeah, that wasn't, yeah. <laughs> it's so That's interesting that that, per- that perception changes, right? Like you, or maybe even uh, as an audience or someone here who's watched some comedians over the years, when you, like, you know, I, I used to watch um, a lot more comedy before I was a comedian, right? But like you, you know, Ed Byrne or uh, Jimmy Carr or, and then you go for the fringe yeah. and you see the reality like 9,000 shows a day most people 8,995 probably get like five people for the show and then you have the best in the fringe this award which no one gets unless of course you know you have 10 cards you're black you're lesbian you have no leg you have this you have you check all the boxes and then suddenly you're a winner you know and then the yeah. perception is just cracks in front of you and that's what happened at the fringe where I'm like you know what I remember, you know, doing the thing, you write to the, the, the Flying Scotsman, you write to all these basic people to come and rate your show. And a year and a half after coming back from the Fringe, someone sends me a link saying, hey, by the way, you got a review for your Fringe show. And it is a two and a half star rating or maybe even less where this lady says, an attempt at comedy with blokey humor. I'm like, fuck it, eh? Thank God I didn't read that when I was there. <laughs> <laughs> wow it it hurt even though wow. the show is done mate i'm telling you don't read those reviews they're not a review is not for a comedian a review is uh, for an audience member who wants to see if they'll like the show but uh, in all reality if a reviewer could do an hour of comedy they would be they don't get paid very much if they if they were able to sustain an hour. It doesn't mean they can't write from an audience perspective and go, well, I think you'd like this or I think you wouldn't. But uh, mm. they should never inform your performance because they're not talented enough to do that. Mm. So the thing is now um, you have a lot of that, uh, you know, noise in whether it translates to the Internet in the Internet or, or you say uh these platforms, right, where it comes to Netflix or whatever. Um, and, you know, there's a new, I'm sure you're aware of the trend that, you know, it's not about how funny your show is, but it's about how many people you can pull to the platform. And similarly, it's how many people you can pull to the fringe at your shows. Um, so the thing is, um, what what have you observed is uh, has, has changed with the language around comedy? And with that, I mean the, the literal language, but also just the expectations from comedy. Um and and maybe something related to that question or that thought is, what what does comedy do for you? 
yeah, it definitely has uh, it has changed. Um, where there's certain topics that are just it's just not worth it to bring it up, um, regardless of your um, uh, of your position on it, because um, you know people people will automatically judge you, and they'll they'll put up they'll put up defense barriers before you've said what you're gonna say, and then they're like. Uh, you said that transphobic stuff. I was like, I didn't say anything. I, just, I was speaking about trans people, but it was not transphobic, but, mm. um, or what have you. That, that's just an example. Not that I have transphobic material. Yeah. But, yeah. 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 Um, <clears throat> but I do know, like there are, there are people who have gotten in a lot of trouble, um, for speaking about that issue. Uh, and I, I mean, I heard, I've heard the material that they were doing and I was just like, they're, they're not, that's not hate filled what they're saying, you know, yeah. and, and I, don't, I don't agree with it, but I don't think that they shouldn't be allowed to say it. And a lot of, um, there's, there's been a fair few people that there's clubs, they're no longer allowed to work because mm. the bartender uh, says well I'm not going to come in if they're in because I, I don't like what they said and um, you know I, I can't ever I, I <laughs> first of all like how why the bartenders are picking who were who is supposed to be on stage you know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, um, I, 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 I can't see that being sustainable but a lot of the time, too, it's now sort of transpiring that there is no, there was no usher, there was no bartender who had a problem with it. It was, uh, it was the promoter who blames. You know, I can't name them because that would be cruel to them, and they don't exist. It was just me lying. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So, but it's not sustainable yeah. even for the promoters because I mean, sorry, please finish your thought, but I, yeah. Uh, no, that yeah, that that, that was uh, that was basically what I wanted to say. Yeah, no, because it, it's very limiting, right? I mean, to have this very uh, acceptable narrative when it comes to something like comedy, because comedy, there's so many acts I I don't laugh at. There's so many acts that make me cry. They're so funny. But who am I, or who are we, as a certain selected group, to say that one shouldn't exist because I didn't laugh or? Um, you know, because even, you know, after becoming yeah. a father, there's certain comedians who I used to laugh at, like with jokes about babies. I'm like, I get it why I laugh, but I don't appreciate it anymore. But it doesn't mean I go back and say, this is ridiculous, you know, but it's just it's hypocrisy, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I was just thinking about this the other day. Um, I remember, and I've heard this story. It's like an urban myth, Um but it was happening definitely when I was in high school and up until now, there's a story about some guy got caught uh, with a bunch of weapons and he'd bought, he'd bought a front row ticket to whatever the boy band is at the time. Uh-huh. Um, Cause I've heard it through things and they were like, yeah, they caught him at security, but he was gonna, he was gonna jump on stage and attack them and, would, you know, they, but always told in like, a, wouldn't that be great if like NSYNC had got beat up by this like guy? And first of all, I don't care who you are. There's five of those guys, and they're trained dancers. They will kick your ass if you got out. If you like, they're not. You're not like Bruce Lee. You're not like they're. They're very strong, regardless of what you think about their music. You're not gonna walk through them. But beyond that. 
They're I strategically bronze. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. They do it. They do it like the sharks and the jets. They come snapping. To, <laughs> they just tire you um, out <laughs> through their moves. Yeah. To <laughs> a dance off, but like any time somebody tells that story, it's always in like, a, wouldn't that have been great if mm. if that band had been attacked? And and I always thought. No, I like what I just don't listen to them. Why? Why do they need to be knifed on a stage? Yeah. Like, where are you hearing them that much that it even matters? And but that's basically that sort of attitude is what people are trying to do. Like, well, I don't find it funny, so nobody should watch it. And it's just like, just let it. Let it happen away from yourself. You don't have to be mm. that guy in the front row going, I'm going to get up there and change it all, you know, because I don't like it, so nobody would like it, right? Yeah, yeah. That's not the way it is, is it? That's a, that's a sense of entitlement, right? You get, you get well, how much ever you pay for your Netflix subscription, you get unlimited content. Suddenly you think that just because you get that content, you also get the permission or the right to have that content taken away, which is bullshit right exactly well and also yeah a lot of this time where things have you know you feel things have to be banned the whole sensibility is based on a outmoded idea which is that this is on the television and we can't choose to not watch it if you are constantly bombarded with things that you don't like or you don't want to listen to, well, you just don't have a very good grasp of technology because it's very easy to switch. I could see if like, a, you know, if, if a 90 year old man was like, well, I don't know how to switch it. You know, yeah, then it's like, yeah. OK, well, fair enough. I, I can't turn it off. OK, well, I'll turn it off for you. But if you're a 24 year old person that still hasn't figured out Netflix. Well, that's your issue. That's not my issue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. And yeah, so I think, yeah, I think it, it's just one of those things, you know, I'm sitting on the sidelines for the past couple of years and it's kind of just biding my time because just knowing, okay, when I'm ready, I will get back on stage, but it's nice and encouraging to hear from someone like you with your experience and, Thanks so much for sharing your stories and everything that you have no been problem. through. And yeah, what, I really enjoyed this chat. Thank you. And what's in store? What what's what what lies ahead for your plans? You have any shows coming up? Any anything outside the UK? Anything you know in the UK? Uh, well, I'm getting ready for Edinburgh. That starts in uh, twenty days. I get, uh, but I'm not. I'm not. Uh, risking a terrible amount this year. I've got a really small room, and I'm just going up to have fun. I'm not. Uh, I'm not. You know, I'm not looking to make a big splash or anything. I'm just, like I say, I've just sort of. Uh, it's just all about the jokes, and I'm just going to have fun. I'm, you know, talk to the audience. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. It, you know, it's just mm-hmm. I. I. I know I can make a room laugh for an hour, and I'll do whatever i want in, in that in that time frame so i'm looking <coughs> excuse me um it's the it's sort of a new way for me of doing edinburgh where i used to spend a lot of money in pre-production of you know pr and mm-hmm. and uh and, and and a lot of you know a big splash a big poster and all these things all over town and um i just don't i don't care to do that anymore i, I just it's 
just go up, have fun, not risk too much. Cause it's a, you know, and, and once you have, once you have a family, you know, you, if I'm going to, if I'm going to blow 10 grand, I'm going to do it on my family. And, you know, we're going to have had a lovely holiday. <laughs> you know, there's no more of that in Edinburgh for me. Yeah, no, absolutely. Which, which room are you doing at, at the fringe? Uh, it's called the attic. It's in the Bayhive. Um, it's a, it's, it's a perfect little 60 seater box room, the top of a pub, um, yeah, it's it's perfect for comedy. Actually, the Monkey Barrel, which is a famous comedy club in Edinburgh, it started out in this room before they bought their um, their venue. So it's got that sort of pedigree. And I, I played it last year, and I absolutely loved it. It's it's everything the Fringe should be. It's not it's not too big. It's not too pricey. It's just uh, you know, it's easy to get a beer, uh, and mm. the beer is uh, reasonably priced. It's uh, it's a lot of it's a lot of good things, and uh, the people who run it, Rick Mullen and Sully O'Sullivan, are just great guys. And uh, yeah, yeah. If if it didn't exist, I don't think I would go back to the festival. I think that you know, like I say, the big the big splash is done, and it's lovely that these guys have uh, sort of popped up and are doing things right. That's really good good to hear, because. You know, when, yeah. when we did The Fringe, it was uh, I, 2017, obviously. Uh, earlier that year, they had the other leg of The Fringe, which was the Perth Fringe. So it was my first time ever doing an international like festival. Like I did some stuff in Singapore. but So my wife traveled with me to help out. And So when we did Perth, we were doing this show with a Singapore comedian, a Singap- uh, Malaysian comedian, uh, Quill Potter, um, who is an uh, Australian comedian. And um, no, was it, was it Quill? No, it wasn't Quill. Sorry, that he's going to get upset if I say his name. Uh, not Quill. It's another guy. I forget his name. Um, he was an Australian guy, and it was myself. And the show is called Asian Invasion, so it was like this position show. Right. And my wife said, "Okay, we'll go for ten days. Let's see how this festival. So it's exciting, right?" So then we're supposed to get an apartment with these other two comedians with separate bathrooms, but we only got one. And my wife's like, "Oh, after the first or second day, she's like, I'm not living with these guys. It's filthy, right?" <laughs> So the only condition for the fringe in Edinburgh was like, I don't care if you don't do a single gig or get a single laugh, but we are staying in a nice place where we have our own bathroom, have our privacy, because that really traumatized her, you know. (laughs) So I'm like, yeah, you know what? Yeah, I'd rather make it a holiday where I'm doing some shows than I'm doing shows and we're just sort of, you know, sharing it with six other people. (laughs) <laughs> well, I'll tell you a quick story. Yeah. Uh, you reminded me when you told me that. Um, the, you know, the flight of the Concords, uh, mm-hmm. Jermaine uh, is a really good man of mine. And he came, when this is when I was living in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, he, he was shooting a movie there. So we went out for lunch, and he was telling me a story about the, the first time the Concords left New Zealand, they played a they played a um, fringe festival in Calgary, which mm-hmm. is in Alberta, which is part of Canada. And they had a really good run. They like uh, they played seven nights. They sold out every night. They had their money. Their 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 pockets were stuffed with cash. Uh, and they just thought that that's the way it is at fringe festivals. You sell out every night. It doesn't matter. Mm. So they come to Vancouver the next week, and 
they put them in this weird venue that nobody knows. They put it in a sign a part of town that nobody is aware of any, you know. So they they spend all day flyering out in front of this venue, and um, and they go that night. They come in, and uh, there's there's one person. There's one person in the audience. Uh, so, uh, and it gives you an idea how long ago this was. Their sound person was uh, Taika, Taika Watite, uh, Wahite, um, you know, from the, the he, he got, went on to direct Thor and, and all these things. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's, he's flown in, so they're thinking, well, I mean, we might as well do the show because Taika needs to learn the cues anyway. Um, so, you know, we'll just train it as a rehearsal and, you know, whatever. We'll just have fun with it. So they both go out on stage. Lights go down. They go, they do, they do an hour, you know, they're singing their songs and stuff. Uh, one hour comes up, lights go up, and the lady's gone. And they don't know, they don't know when she left. <laughs> Oh wow! Yeah, it's it's so it's so grounding to hear these stories, you know. Because I felt I was I felt, uh, I, I felt bad because one of my worst shows at the Fringe. I mean, I had many bad shows, but one of them was so bad that the turnout was so low and the response from that turnout was so low that a homeless guy came and used the back of the room to get an hour sleep. He just went back and lay down, and he's like, "This is nice and quiet. <laughs> no one's going to disturb me." <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> At least he didn't turn around and say, "Hey, buddy, can you keep it down? I'm trying to sleep." At least he didn't say that. But everything yeah. else, oh wow! <laughs> oh, that's great. My that's God. great, and it probably probably was another performer. <laughs> yeah, at the fringe, that's a very close probably. call. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. the next it's, show. It's it is the next. Show. Yeah, yeah, he's on next. <laughs> <laughs> the sleepy. <laughs> oh wow! The sleepy comedy stylings. <laughs> Excellent. Oh. Well, it's been brilliant talking to anyway, you, and I'd love people to come yeah, check out your too. podcast, Egypt. Try double e g i t t s of the world. J E E J I T S of the world. That's Glenn Wall and Andrew Maxwell. Brilliant. uh, We'll link it in the description. I would love it if we had. Yeah, and I'll know if you do it because uh, we can see where the people in the world have done it. So if I if I could spike our India numbers, I would be uh, I'd be impressed. Absolutely. Uh, I'm pretty sure people head over, and uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you. And thank you so much for joining me today. Appreciate it. Uh, thank you too. Thank you too. Thank you, Glenn. Cheers. You're welcome. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you like what you heard, please do check out the other episodes on YouTube or wherever you get your podcast. And I would much appreciate it if you could like the video, share it with people who you think might enjoy it. And of course, do subscribe to the channel because it will help me and the podcast grow and reach more people just like you. So thanks again. Appreciate it.